Well, hey, it's Christmas time, and uh, how many of you just get real excited when you know Christmas is here? How Any Christmas lovers in the room? All right, lots of them. You, you started putting up decorations in July, or you just never took them down. Uh, but I also realize that there's another side. How, how many of you, like, can't wait for December 26th already? You're just that kind of a person. A few hands popping up. Let's just boo them. Give them a big boo right now, you know, for those hands that are going up around the room. Uh, there, there's that song that goes, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? We've all, we've all heard that song before. Uh, it, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around Genesis. We've got our trees up and the one in the, the uh, cafe looks awesome and all. But you, you've got a neighbor uh, that has gone overboard on Christmas decorations, right? You know, they've got all their lights up. Uh, nothing says Christmas like inflatable Santas, you know, and so they've got those out in the yard. I was out running the other night. And I went by this one house, and I mean, totally decked out. I mean, quadruple the electric bill, I'm sure, for the month of December. They got a sign in their yard that says, tune to 100.3 FM for the full experience. So you can literally tune in. I mean, this is a high-tech Christmas display. Now, I counter that with the fact that on Friday, I was out in front of the house with two strands of lights, trying to wrap them around one of our couple of bushes that we had, and I just gave up. I thought, I look like a dud, you know, compared to this guy. So I took him down, went back into the house. We don't have any lights up. Uh, in front of our house right now, but uh, it's beginning to sound a lot like Christmas too. And if you love Christmas music, uh, chances are your radio station is playing some of that or all of that. If you hate Christmas music, not a good time of the year, all right? I mean, every station, every department store, all you hear are jingling bells in your head. You know, over and over, you just hear that sound. Uh, It's beginning to smell and taste a lot like Christmas. Now, everyone can get into this, right? I mean, the baked goods, the candy, the office parties the calories, the weight. If you have a scale in your house that you weigh yourself regularly, just put it away for the month of December. Uh, If you're on a diet right now, you might as well just slash it, uh, put it off to the side until January comes around and you can get back on schedule again. Uh, Christmas is doing all these different things. You know, Christmas uh, brings out the best in people. I was reading an article um, a couple of days after Black Friday. All right, there's always a good story, you know, somewhere along the way after Good uh, Black Friday. And uh, there was a woman in a Walmart in California who pepper sprayed a bunch of people. And not because she felt threatened by them or they were going to take her purse, but she had her eyes set on a PS3 that she felt like she was the owner of. And sure enough, just pepper sprayed everyone that tried to get in the way. True story. Uh, or, or this, my brother-in-law works at a radio shack and it's Black Friday. He was showing a guy uh, an iPad. The guy rips it from his hands and goes sprinting out of the store. Now, my brother-in-law chases him, which I'm pretty sure is not recommended, a good idea that OSHA would approve or anything. But he chases the guy and watches the guy jump into a waiting car and speed out of the shopping mall parking lot. Again, I, I think we could say, right, Christmas sometimes has that tendency of bringing out the best in people or, or the worst in people. But Christmas also means TV specials. All right, you maybe got a favorite TV special, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't seen it yet, or a a classic Christmas movie uh, that you enjoy. We've all got a favorite, Uh, but which one, which Christmas special says it's Christmas the most to you? Maybe maybe it's this one. Maybe maybe this is one that you love. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are. 
any uh, any Grinch fans here today? Who's a Grinch fan? And I'm talking about classic Grinch. All right, not Jim Carrey wannabe Grinch. You know, this is classic Grinch. I mean, you see the Grinch on TV and you know, you think to yourself, well, surely enough, it's Christmas. But but how about this next one? Maybe you're more of a traditionalist. That's right. That's right. It's a Wonderful Life. How many, how many fans of It's a Wonderful Life? I've never seen it, ever. I mean, it's probably on TV right now. I mean, I could probably go home and find it on television. I've never seen it from beginning to end. It's always my goal every year to see it, uh, maybe this year. But, but doesn't this one tell the story of Christmas better than any other? One year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Okay. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is. That it is indeed. The gift that keeps on giving the whole year around. How, how many of you love Christmas vacation, all right? Whether we want to admit to it or not, you know, that, that's one of our favorites. Well, you know, you've got the Grinch and Rudolph and, you know, Frosty the Snowman and It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Vacation. I mean, these, these are great stories, right? Great stories that we love and look forward to. Each of them represents Christmas to us, tells the story of Christmas in one way or another. But what about this next one? Have you ever watched this clip and thought to yourself, oh yeah, this is Christmas? what you were expecting, right? A good chance you've probably never watched a movie like that before and thought to yourself, oh yeah, that's Christmas. There's the Christmas story for us. You know, that, that, that famous, and many have seen, uh, famous opening scene from the movie Saving Private Ryan. It, it's a scene that depicts a very pivotal point in World War II. Uh, it's the beaches of Normandy on what we call D-Day. Uh, it was 1944. The Nazi army had taken control over the entire continent of Europe. They turned the whole thing into what Hitler referred to as Fortress Europe. And, and as long as Hitler held Europe, many believed that he would never let it go. But on June 6, 1944, the Allies launched an invasion against Hitler. And Allied forces stormed this beach at Normandy at a tremendous cost of life and established a very important uh, ground there. Virtually every historian will tell you that once this beachhead was established in Normandy, that it would only be a matter of time before Hitler would be defeated and eventually the war would be won. Well, we're starting a new series today here at Genesis called The Untold Story. We've all heard the story of Christmas. And I think we could all agree, and, and even if you're new to this church thing, or no matter where you are spiritually, I think we can take a look at, at the Bible's telling of the story of Christmas and, and think to ourselves, you know, that's a pretty heartwarming story. 
That's a pretty feel-good story. I mean, what's not heartwarming about Mary and Joseph traveling by moonlight, you know, into a peaceful Bethlehem scene? And, you know, rather than check into a suite at the Bethlehem Radisson, you know, they choose a a dimly lit uh, stable out back, you know, for the birth of their son. Uh, What's not heartwarming about the shepherds, you know, tiptoeing up to the manger and, and catching a peek? of this baby that's been born or what's not heartwarming about wise men traveling by camel following a bright star into Bethlehem I mean all true right well mostly is it a story worth telling you bet it's a story worth telling is it heartwarming yeah it's sort of a feel-good story but truth be told the story of Christmas uh, the story behind the story the untold story of Christmas is that the story isn't as warm and as fuzzy as we like to tell it. If you're taking notes, the story of Christmas is a war story. The story of Christmas is very much a war story. All wasn't right in Bethlehem. This is not friendly territory. In fact, planet Earth was a mess. And it wasn't getting any better. You know, the story of Christmas is a lot more like the opening scene of the movie Saving Private Ryan than anything else. It's the story of a baby born, a one-soldier invasion of Fortress Earth. And, and this nowhere place called Bethlehem was selected as the starting place, the starting grounds for a new day, a new king- kingdom that the Savior of the world would usher in. And Bethlehem became the staging grounds, not for a fight against a political aggressor or for a particular continent, but a much more sinister enemy. This was a fight between good and evil. This was a fight between God, the Son of God, and this sinister enemy, an evil by the name of Satan. And his game was evil. And Now, why is it important, you know, that, that we, that you and I understand that Christmas is a war story? I mean, how does this help us get into the Christmas mood? Because understanding that Christmas is a war story might just shed some light on the fact that your life sometimes feels like a war story, too. Where over and over, you know, the battles rage. And I mean, because doesn't life just feel like that at times? Like it's never going to end? I mean, maybe heightened for you in a season like this right now. I mean, there, there's conflict. You know, there's hurt. You know, there's death around you and fear in your life. There's letdown and loneliness. And for some reason, you know, what should be a time of celebration for everyone, especially Christians, you know, Christmas more often than not represents this season where the pain is heightened and the loneliness becomes more apparent uh, and the fear is there more than anything else. I mean, think about it. Some of you right now, you're in the middle of a battle right now in your life, whether it be in your relationships, maybe in your marriage, you're, you're in a battle financially. You're in a battle emotionally or or spiritually. I mean, you've got nothing to smile about right now. You've got no great hopes at all for this Christmas. In fact, as you look back on this past year, this past year might represent one of the worst that you've lived. But here's what I'm hoping for. And uh, here's what I've been praying for and praying for you last night and praying for you again this morning. My prayer is that as Christmas approaches for us this year, that while your circumstances might not change, Today, they may not change in the weeks to come. Nothing may change. I mean, the war continues in your life. The battles go on and on. These things might not change, but I'll tell you what can change and can begin to change today. It's your perspective. 
And I believe that God can use even this season and this story to increase your faith. And again, while it might not happen today, it might not happen tonight, it might not happen over these next couple of weeks, but I'm praying that God willing, you might be able to see Christmas for what it really is, that our hope as followers of Jesus, the message that we proclaim as a church is that Christmas is our reminder that our God, he put on skin and he came to this earth. And the moment that baby cried, everything changed. The moment that baby cried, everything changed for you and for me. And so Christmas is like a war story. What's that mean for us? You know, Jesus entered a world, a world that wasn't at peace, but a world very much in conflict, a world full of brokenness, of pain, of guilt, of sin, a world very much at war. And it's not just the climate of the first Christmas either. It's the story of the earth going all the way back to the very beginning. And if you'd allow me for just a few minutes here this morning, I want to put some of this into context for you so that you can understand what I mean when I say that Christmas is indeed a war story. Now, when did that war begin? Well, a long time ago. And you know some of this. Uh, The story begins with God, the creator of all things. And he put all things into motion. He created all things. And when it was done, he declared that it was good. And that it was really good. But then sin enters and destroys everything. And as a result, man and woman begin to spiral out of control to this depth where God even regrets the day that he created humans. And so he kills them. He killed every one of them except Noah and his family. And, and they, he puts them on this boat. And this boat and all of its occupants eventually escape this great flood. And from there, this small group of people has given them the task of populating the earth again. But it doesn't take long. And what happens? It all begins to go sour. Now, in Genesis 12, God came to a man by the name of Abram. And he said to him, you're going to have a boy. Now, that's great news uh, for any dad, but he tells him you're not only going to have a boy, but you're going to have many children. Your family is going to become this great nation, and out of this nation will one day come the Messiah. You know, hundreds, thousands of years ago, God's proclaiming this to Abram, that out of your family will come the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to fix everything that has spiraled out of control, everything that has gone wrong. And his life will usher in a brand new kingdom, a kingdom where step by step, life by life, all that is broken will be put back together again. Now, there were some challenges with this promise for Abram at this point in his life because he's 75, all right? And it's another 25 years before they finally have their baby. I mean, you do the math. I mean, Abram's 100, all right? He's got a newborn. And just imagine if you are Isaac, I mean, imagine when that first Little League game comes along. I mean, you go to the game, you're sitting next to that boy on the bench. He's like, hey, that's great. Your great, great, great grandpa came to the game with you. That's my dad, dummy. You know, I mean, this is, this is what Isaac's going through. You know, and, and, and Isaac is on the scene now and things really start picking up and the family's growing. And over time, this nation that was promised to Abraham really starts to come together. And Joseph's born. And one night Joseph has this dream and he has this dream where one day all of his brothers will bow down to him and worship him. Now, that's a dream that if you have it, you keep that to yourself, all right? You just kind of keep that tucked in because his brothers weren't a big fan of him. But he goes ahead and he tells them this dream anyways. And what do they do? They get upset and they sell their brother into slavery, all right? And Joseph ends up in Egypt and eventually he's in prison. But through a process of events that could only be orchestrated by God, Joseph leaves the prison and through his influence rises to where he is the second in charge over all the land. Now, at the same time, a horrible famine strikes back at home with Abram's family in this place called Israel. And so they're on the move looking for survival. And where do they end up? 
they end up in Egypt. And who do they run into? Oh yeah, our brother that we sold into slavery who is now second in charge of all the land. And so Joseph is on the throne just as he had dreamt it. His brothers are bowing down to him. And I want you to notice for just a moment. Notice how God is working through the misfortunes of even Joseph's life. It's a reminder to us that God is always at work. That even when your life is a mess and you feel like things are completely spiraling out of control, that our God is always working behind the scenes. He is good and he is faithful and he is always there working. And, and Joseph's words to his brothers went something like this, Don't worry, I'm not mad. What you meant for evil, I know that our God is meant for good. What you meant for evil, our God has turned into good. And so Joseph provides shelter and he provides this place of escape for his family. Well, now Egypt becomes the new home uh, for all of these people, this growing nation that was promised to Abraham. And over time, many, 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 many years, you know, this family is growing into a great Big, large family. I mean, if TLC, you know, were doing a show, I mean, there would have been plenty of choices, you know, of, of these large families. And, and it doesn't take long for the Egyptians to realize that their house guests are outnumbering them. So what do they do? They suppress them and they oppress them and they throw them into slavery. And this becomes the new life for these Israelites until one day a guy by the name of Moses takes matters into his own hands when he sees an Israelite being beaten, a Jew being beaten, by an Egyptian man. And so he kills him with his own bare hands. And so Moses is now on the run into the wilderness until one day God comes to him and says, Moses, I have heard the cries. I have seen the pain of my people, the brokenness. And I remember the promise that I made to Abram. Moses, I'm commanding you to go. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Now Moses argues with God. I mean, he doesn't want the job. And, and, and let me just take a moment to throw in a little bonus sermon here for you. Um, you don't win arguments with the creator of the universe, all right? I don't know if you've learned that lesson in your life or not, but you don't win those arguments. It's kind of like you arguing with your three-year-old. Mom and dad, you win that argument every time, all right? I mean, just let that be clear in your own mind that you win that argument every single time, and that's what's going on here with Moses. And in the end, he surrenders and he leads the people, people that were forced into Egypt by this famine. He is taking them now back towards their home. They're on their way to the promised land. And, and you know some of these stories. I mean, the wilderness is a journey. It's full of these high moments and low moments. And one day, God's people finally reach the promised land. And they're ready to go in, but there are these new inhabitants that are going to need to be conquered and so 12 spies are sent in they come out and there are two joshua and caleb that say let's go i mean we've got this you know god's at our back this is what he's told us to do let's go into this land but the other 10 are like no way i mean there are giants in this land i mean it's full of dwight howards and lebron james i mean we can't take this land and so eventually popular opinion wins out and what do the people do they're not willing to go and so as punishment, God sends them back into the wilderness for 40 years to make sure that every single one of them dies. All except for Joshua and Caleb. And the 40 years pass, and now they're back at the same place, and Joshua and Caleb lead the people into the land. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, and I grew up in Sunday school, but if you grew up in Sunday school, um, this is the part of the story. The, there, there are so many classic, you know, great stories that come out of this time period that you were taught as a kid. But when I think back to what Mrs. McCall was teaching and not teaching us in Sunday school, I'm reminded of the untold part of the story because while there are all of these great stories that are told, the truth is the untold story is the invasion of the promised land was followed by bloody war and massacre for years. Christmas is a war story. And time passes and, and Israel, God's people, are established as a nation and they start complaining. 
They're tired of hearing from God one day and they cry out that every other nation around us has a king, but we don't have a king. We want a king. And so God gave them Saul. And while Saul starts out strong, it doesn't take long for people to discover that he's a phony. And he falls out of favor with God. And so God anoints another. There's David. Now, David might have been a shepherd, but you don't jack with David, all right? I mean, you don't mess with David because this guy's got guts, all right? He's willing to fight. He's willing to stand up. He's willing to go into that octagon, you know, with Goliath and a couple of stones and come out victorious. Now, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And God anoints him as king and David rises to this place and he's going to usher in. He's going to set the grounds for this golden age that will come about in the history of Israel. But David commands from the throne and his throne is marked by what? The Bible teaches us that his throne is marked by war. David is constantly at war. His army is the strongest in the world. In fact, there was so much war in his life that David wanted to build the temple. But God's not going to let him to to do that because he killed way too many people. And David dies and Solomon becomes king and builds the temple in Israel. And it's about this time that Genesis 12, the promise that God made to Abraham about a great nation, it looks as if this promise is finally coming together. I mean, Israel is one of the most powerful, feared nations in all of the earth. And and they are wealthy and people come from all over the world to look and to observe and to see what they're doing. But Solomon dies and not too long after he dies, what's Israel overrun with? Civil war. And the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. And it's about this time where all of this inward fighting is taking place that two enemies rise up on both borders, the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And it didn't take long for the Assyrians to practically wipe Israel from the map. Most of God's people were sent into exile. People were given over to slavery. God's people were devastated. A couple of hundred years pass. I'm pretty sure that none of us will see a couple of hundred years in our lifetime. But a couple of hundred years pass before finally the enemy king Cyrus is willing to begin sending Israelites back into their land to establish, to recolonize in these Jewish settlements. And so once again, they're coming out of slavery. They're coming out of conflict. They're coming out of exploitation. They're coming out of brokenness and desperation. God's people are coming back together and once again they're rebuilding but it's about this time that a historical figure a man by the name of alexander the great rises to power and what follows war and not too long later the nation of israel is devastated once again the jewish people are back in bondage but they rise back again to power during this period that we refer to as the maccabean period and they take their land back but then we meet a man by the name of pompey and pompey decides that he's interested in this little sliver of land right off of the coast of the mediterranean sea that he wants to call his own and so what follows war and israel is devastated by the romans again and so god's people are made slaves they're made beggars And they're thieves again. Now, all along the way, all throughout history, the prophets, God's messengers, are continuously shouting to the people, repent, turn your eyes back to God. Let's get our hearts back to God. Let's look to God once again. God's people have the same problem that we have today because we so easily forget. Uh, we so quickly turn our eyes from God to other things. We're, we're way too caught up in, in numero uno, you know, number one. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. We forget how fragile we are. We, 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 we aren't dependent enough on God. I mean, think about it. The only reason that your heart is pumping blood right now 
is because God has given you the ability to do just that. And, and we like to think, well, I've got it all put together. I mean, there may be some of you here today and you feel like, well, I don't relate because everything's going fine and I'm skating and, and, and everything seems to be great in my life and I'm leaning on my bank account or I'm leaning on my family or I'm leaning on my own strengths or my past successes. And we forget that it only takes one phone call, that your phone could ring tonight and your world would be flipped upside down forever. We are so dependent on a Savior. We need to be so dependent on a Savior. God's people were in desperate need of a Savior, an answer. Now let's go to Bethlehem. And if you'll allow me, just just one more story, and then we'll begin to sort of bring this to an end. You know, when Jesus was born, there was a man reigning on the throne at the time, ruling over Israel, a man by the name of Herod. Now, if you think Scrooge is a bad guy, get to know Herod. I mean, this is a wicked wicked man. And his path to the throne in Israel was crooked. Uh, It was full of maneuvering and positioning. He was willing to murder two of his sons and even a wife to secure his position and place on the throne. He was called the king of the Jews, but it was a title that he received for his loyalty to the enemy, to this nation of Rome. Now, Herod was ruthless and sadistic. He had no moral compass. He's like a local version of Hitler or Stalin or something. And when Herod learned of the birth of Jesus Christ, born king of the Jews in his typical paranoid fashion, look at what follows in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. We get a historical account here. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all of the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, I'm pretty sure that's a verse that won't show up on any of your Christmas cards this year, all right? And if anybody gets one like that, I'd really like to see it. I mean, what's Herod's problem? Well, in addition to being this homicidal, genocidal maniac, for Herod, Christmas meant war. I mean, Jesus, the enemy, was a threat to his throne. And history tells us that Herod goes out, he commissions his soldiers to murder all of the baby boys in and around Bethlehem because this was his only hope for taking out the enemy. His enemy was Jesus. And so over the next few days, over the next days, weeks, the air was filled with screams and cries of mothers who watched as their baby boys were slaughtered in front of their face. Can you even imagine I mean, this isn't the neat, fuzzy story that we like to read about at Christmas, but it's the reality. I mean, it's the untold story of what was taking place in Bethlehem at the time our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born. And and so these mothers witnessed this, and the fathers witnessed it, and it was the climate, it was the feel of the scene and the situation. But all's fair in war, right? I mean, that's just how war goes. I mean, this is the world, this is the world that Jesus has been born into, I just want to know if you get the point. I mean, in all of the details and all of the historical evidence of what really has been taking place up to this point in the world, there is sin, there is brokenness, there is conflict, there's war, and there's a sinister enemy. There's one great enemy who is behind all of the evil, and his name is Satan. And it's this first Christmas, and the world is doing nothing but spin out of control and had been for centuries now. But it all changes when the baby's born. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. John writes it this way. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since when? The beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Friends, that's the story of Christmas. That the Son of God, the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ, came to destroy the works of the devil. Everything changed with that first Christmas. 
You know, the birth of the Son of God changed everything. You know, Christmas means war, but Jesus came to win that war. And he claimed it came to declare victory for us. The birth of the Messiah was God's way of saying that evil would no longer have a place or rule over this world. Now, that's great, right? But what's greater is that God's war strategy was brilliant. You know, many who anticipated this Savior urged him to take power, to take authority with all strength and might to wipe out the Romans. But Jesus had other plans. He had another way of going about his business. You know, God's plan for the world. I mean, that's for you and me. Following the invasion was to establish himself at the center of everyone's life. That was God's plan. And the only blood that he was prepared to spill along the way was his own. Jesus knew that he had no physical territory to take. He knew the territory to be taken was right here. It was deep within every heart. You know, that Satan didn't have a bunker. You know, he wasn't hidden behind barbed wire. But Satan had planted himself deep in the heart of every person. And Jesus Christ was born into this world on that very first Christmas to take back the hearts of his children, of God's people. That was the mission that he had set out to do. And so Christmas is our D-Day. Christmas is our reason as followers of Jesus, as a church, to celebrate the birth of our Savior But now how can you celebrate Christmas if you don't feel like you have anything worth celebrating right now? I mean, how can you find joy or feel joy at a time of the year like this when you feel like there's nothing but war after war, battle after battle going on in your heart and in your life right now? Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. And I'll tell you right now that as we consider the story, there is good news, but there's bad news too. And whenever presented with a situation like that, I always go for the bad news first. They just give me the bad news because let's put a bow on it, hopefully, you know, with the good news. There is bad news, but there's good news too. The bad news first. The enemy, Satan, he's still at work today. The Bible teaches us that this enemy still has rules, still has authority over this world and even in our lives today, that the battle continues today and every day in your life and in mine. And you need to know this morning that Satan is fighting for your heart. He is aggressively pursuing you and pursuing your heart today. We see his power evidenced in many places in Scripture. I'm going to give you just a few. In Luke chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus was just beginning his ministry. He goes into the wilderness where he's encountered by Satan. And I just want you to hear these words from Satan himself. In verse 6, it says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms. He's talking to Jesus. And authority over them, the devil said. Now, how can he give authority away if he doesn't already have it or possess it? Because they are mine to give to anyone I please. You know, Satan, without, without spending a lot of time trying to dissect this, he's been given a measure of authority and influence during this period of time that we live on this earth today. In Ephesians 2, two, Paul refers to this enemy, Satan, as the ruler and the kingdom of the air. And he continues with this language later on in chapter 6. Look at this here in Ephesians 6.12. It says, for we, this is you and me now, are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Basically just reminding me that, you know, whenever there's junk going on in your life, whenever these battles continue on in your life, there's always something going on behind the scenes. And Scripture gives evidence to this, that there's always a battle for your heart going on behind the scene in these unseen places, against mighty powers in this what? This dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The battle for your heart continues even today. 
Satan is aggressively pursuing you, your life, and your heart. And I want you to realize that you have a vicious enemy. And he is out to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, whatever it's going to take. And it may not even be to take your life physically, but to invade your life, to disrupt your life, and destroy everything you love or even care about. I mean, just take, some, take a moment and you know, maybe just reflect a little bit, I mean, on what some of those battles might look like in your life today. Uh, they might be emotional battles. As you struggle with depression, uh, maybe as you struggle with feelings of satisfaction, we, we know that a time of the year like this really can heighten those in our life as we become more and more aware of those things that aren't happening around us. Some of you are in a battle with your relationships. Uh, maybe it's the conflict, the tension between you and your husband or you and someone that you're dating. Uh, maybe it's your relationship between you and your children. I mean, you may see this battle evident in your own children's lives, whether they're tiny kids or teenagers or, or grown adults. I mean, look at it this way. I mean, if Satan is willing to drive a sword through baby boys on that very first Christmas, don't you think that he might be willing to go to some greater lengths with your children's lives? Some of you are in a battle financially right now. As you know that you're out of work or you've been from job to job, you're nowhere making what you ever used to make. And, and add to that, you know that you've made some dumb financial choices in the past. And so now bring on all of these extra heightened you know, circumstances and things have just gotten really tough and really difficult. There are these battles financially. or For some of you, that battle might be a heart issue as you fight envy. And as we talked about last week, bitterness or jealousy. It's a forgiveness issue. It's letting go of some hurts in your past. Some of you are fighting a battle and it's called loneliness right now. Some of you are in a battle and it's taking great toll on your faith and maybe you're not even sure what you believe about anything anymore. The battle rages on. Satan is alive and well in this world today. But again, it's a matter of perspective. This reminder that Christmas is a war story, you know. The the bad news is that Satan is still at work and and he's waging a battle for your life and it's a fight that started in the Garden of Eden that continues today. There's bad news. But there is good news. That while Christmas means war and the battle for your life continues today, Christmas also represents the turning point. Christmas starts this new beginning. You see the war turned with Jesus. Jesus. Everything turned with Jesus. It changes with Jesus. You know, we have the benefit today of looking at the good news from this side of history. You know, we can look with faith to the truth that our Savior, the Son of God, came to this world. He lived his life and he gave his life for us. Now, the people of God living then or even hundreds of years before Jesus was born had to hang on the words of the prophets. You know, they had to hang on with this great hope that indeed the Messiah would come. And that was the case in Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he proclaimed these news, this news to the people who were anticipating the birth of the Savior. And I just want you to hear these words for yourself and think about Christmas being a war story, but how it all changes with Jesus. Verse 1 says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, they will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. 
For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their uh, shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Now here's that famous verse that we all know so well and we hear it a season like this. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. Hang on that word given. He's given to us as a gift. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, everything changed with the first Christmas. I mean, the Holy One has come, our Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, put on skin and came to this earth, and the moment that the baby cried in the manger, everything changed. It all changed. And this baby grew to a man, and he lived his life, and the reason that he came, I mean, the reason why Jesus came to this earth was to give his life on the cross. Uh, This is proclaimed by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. What, what, What did he do for us? What did his death do for us? It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. Now, who is the he that Paul is referring to here? Well, it's in verse 6. He's referring to the loved one of the Father. He's referring to Jesus Christ who invaded the earth, gave his life, lived his life, and gave his life as a ransom for your life and as a ransom for mine. He gave us redemption. He purchased our freedom. He paid the price for my life, and he paid the price for your life. He shed his blood. Jesus Christ shed his blood to win the war. He won our victory. And that great victory for you and me is the opportunity that we have to receive forgiveness for our sins. Now, how does this change anything? How does this change anything as the battle for your heart or maybe your life continues on today? You know, whether that be the battle for, you know, a loved one that you have is fighting a nasty battle with cancer right now. How does that change if the battle that you're fighting is with your husband or with your wife or with a struggling marriage, you know? How does that change anything if the battle that you fight right now is over a devastated home, you know, because of the economy? How does that change if the battle that you face is just being emotionally sick as you hear your kids talk about everything they would love to receive at this Christmas and you know there's not a chance for any of it? How does this change anything as you realize that the battle you know, in your life right now is a battle for significance as a man or as a woman. Remember, it's a matter of perspective. You know, there's bad news, but there's overwhelming, glorious good news. Because Christmas reminds us that our Savior came. The Son of God came to this world. And while the battle continues today, the war has been won. The battle continues today. But you need to know, confidently know and be assured that the war has been won. And as followers of Jesus, therefore, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We no longer fight for victory. That's been accomplished through Jesus. But we fight from victory. Let's pray. As we bow our heads here, I want to just invite you to maybe take a moment to thank God for sending Jesus Christ into this world and into your life as that perspective changes everything. Take a moment and just do that right now.
God in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that, that you, God, came, that you put on skin, the Son of God, that you came to this earth. And, and the moment that baby cried, everything changed. And, and while the battles rage on today in my life and in the lives and the families of the people of this room right now, we can have the confident reminder this morning that the war has been won. And that while these battles may continue and will continue until Jesus returns one day, we have victory today. We fight from victory because of your grace and your love and your forgiveness that has been established and never can be reversed, but has been given to us. You know, as we pray right now and with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, maybe this morning um, you're more aware or reminded of the battles going on in your life and in your family right now. And, and, I, and I want to just take a moment to pray for you. And if that's you and if that's where you are, if there are battles surrounding you in your life right now and you just want to acknowledge those, we just slip your hand up right now where you are uh, so I can pray for you today. Thank you. You don't have to be ashamed in this. Uh, thanks for acknowledging that. Let me, let me pray for you. God, um, these prayers are offered up to you right now as these hearts are opened up saying there, there, there are these battles going on in my life. And God, you are keenly aware. You know the detail of every single battle that's being fought right now. God, would, would, you, would you embrace us this morning? Can, can, we, can we sense and feel your love and your forgiveness and your might and your power for us as, as we are able to look back and see the reality of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how that love wins out for us, for all things. God, God, I pray for those right now and I, and I pray that they can, they can hear that good news and, and that you would continue to work with them and through them even as they leave here today. And as we keep praying, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge that you know, there are many in this room today and you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, but we all need this good news. We have to come back to it. But I also realize that there may be some here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Boy, Christmas can really change for you this season as your life is radically altered forever knowing that you are one by God that His forgiveness is for you and that you will never again ever be the same and you don't fight uh, for victory but you fight from victory but with this church if that's where you are today and you don't know Jesus as Savior but want to invite Him to be the Lord of your life just slip your hand up right now where you are and I, I just want to invite you to pray with me today and uh, you can do that right now just, just pray these words with me God I need you I need your Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Change my life today. God, we thank you and give you praise for these prayers that are offered up to you today. And we rejoice. We, we sing with praise as we acknowledge this time of the year, Christmas, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll never be the same ever again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.